Good morning, brothers and sisters, visitors, and those joining us online. A warm welcome to you all. God, in his goodness, has brought us here this morning to worship him and to speak to us through the preaching of his holy word. Let's respond with sincere and heartfelt thanks for the love and grace he extends to us, and may you be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel. To him be the praise. Consistory has the following announcements. Following the election of office bearers, Consistory has appointed to the office of deacon brothers Renier de Vries and Colin Klein, and to the office of elder brothers Dick Pott, Warner Spiker, Klaas van Dyke, and Reuben Zanman. If no lawful objections are raised prior to the 14th of November, the ordination will take place, the Lord willing, on Sunday the 27th of November in the morning service. The following baptised brothers and sisters have requested to publicly profess their faith and so receive admission to the Holy Supper. Janelle de Bron, Jed DeVos, Melanie DeVos, Brooklyn Klein, Dylan Kramer, Stacey Oldenberger, Noah Plater, David Poppy, Nicholas Pott, Bianca Roth, Liam Scoof and Cameron Visser. Having considered their motives as well as their knowledge of scripture and confessions, Consist resolve with thankfulness to the Lord to grant these requests. If no lawful objections are brought forward prior to the 31st of October, the profession of faith will take place, the Lord willing, on Sunday the 6th of November in the morning service, with the venue being the Lumen Christi College in Martin. You are reminded of the Deacons Conference being hosted by the Sikh Wisdom Organisation for tomorrow evening, commencing at 5.30pm, in the Free Reform Church of Byford. The annual church visit to our consistory with deacons as appointed by classes is scheduled for Thursday the 27th of October. You are reminded that classes north is scheduled for this coming Friday 28th of October and the annual general meeting for us as Free Reform Church of Southern River is scheduled for next week Monday the 31st of October at 8pm in this building. This morning's worship service will be led by Brother Dathan Plater. And before we commence worship, let's join our voices together and sing from Psalm 9, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, let us rise for worship. Congregation, let us confess in our hearts that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. 
And God greets you this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing of the reign of Jesus Christ with Him 45 verses 1 through 3. at some point this morning, many of you probably looked in the mirror, and if you saw any sort of blemish in your face or anything that needed to be cleaned, you didn't look to the mirror to clean your face, but rather you grabbed something else to wash it and clean it. And similarly, we look into the, the law of God, which is a perfect mirror. Let us not look to the law to find our salvation, but rather look away and look to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law in our place. So here God's law is a summer... Um, as it comes to us in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In a response to the law of God, let us now sing from Psalm 77 verses 3 and 4. now come before God and confess our sins to him and also ask that he would illuminate our hearts to the preaching of the word. Let us pray. Almighty God, forgiving Father, Lord, we come before you and we are deeply aware of our sin and our failings. Lord, we know that if we look at this past week that you've, you've been grieved by many things that we have done and said and thought. Father, you, you are grieved by sin. It alienates us from you. It prohibits us from having full fellowship with you. You are deeply displeased by them. It provokes your, your just wrath. For Lord, it's totally against who you are. It's totally against your character. But Lord, as we just sang, will you spurn us forever? Will you withhold from us your favor? Will your love and mercy fail? And Father, we thank you that we can boldly say no because of Jesus Christ, your Son. 
We thank you that your love and your mercy will not fail. It cannot fail. We praise you that you will not withhold from us your favor. For Lord, you are gracious and you are merciful to sinners. And the greatness of your love, you have sent Jesus to save us, to deliver us, and to display your mercy to a fallen world. Father, you love us now in Christ. And so we can come before you and repent and ask for forgiveness for our sins and we can know that there is forgiveness. And Father, we praise you for that. And so we ask forgive us for our sins, for our wrongdoings. Rather, we pray that you would look upon us and see Jesus, your Son, the perfect Savior. Lord, may you work in us by your Holy Spirit that we may continue to have a relationship with you. For Lord, you are our God and we are your people. And so we pray, O oh gracious God, that, that now as we open your word, that you would give us humble and teachable and obedient hearts, that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. And Father, all of this we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So this morning, my intention is to continue our, our journey through the book of Genesis. And this morning we'll be looking at Genesis 41, particularly Genesis 41 chapters, I mean verses 37 through 57. And so in preparation for that, we'll read the whole chapter. So if you recall from last time, Joseph had been in the pit and there was two prisoners from, the, from Pharaoh's officers who had come into the prison. And there he had interpreted the dreams for these two prisoners. One was restored to the... the right hand of Pharaoh, the other one was, was killed. But then one of the, the cupbearers said that he would remember Joseph. And of course, as we saw, he forgot. And so now we continue from where he left off. And now we continue with that as Joseph is waiting in the pit. So Genesis 41, this is the, the word of the Lord. After two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile and after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, and the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. 
And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. And the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and clothed his, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. <clears throat> and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me and it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as it at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing in, on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blight by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good, ye the good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain unto, under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. And here comes our text in the verses 37 through 57. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and put it, uh, sorry, and and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and with your, without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. 
And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephinath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went over, out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he had entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So far from the reading of God's word, let us now sing in response Psalm 105, verse 7 and 8, where we sing about Joseph's release and his authority in the house of Pharaoh.
After the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing from Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2. Dear congregation, greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, remember me, Joseph said, remember me when you were exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. The cupbearer at the time, we could imagine, said, oh, don't worry, Joseph, I'll remember you. I'll remember all that you've done for me. How can I forget that the fact that you, you prophesied and, and now I'm going to be raised to the right hand of Pharaoh? That's what he said. And then as we saw last time, nothing happened. The cupbearer was restored to his position. He once again was serving the, the wine to the Pharaoh. And after our hopes were raised for Joseph, they come crashing to a halt. Nothing happens. Two days go by, two weeks go by, two whole months. And then as we read in, in, the verse, in verse 1, two whole years go by. Two whole years. Joseph seems had been forgotten. And this is where we left off with Joseph last week. And then once again, we're kind of left wondering, what will become of Joseph? What will become of his dreams? What will become of the promises of God? And then in our text, we get our answer. You can almost picture it in your mind, can't you? Joseph wakes up in the prison that morning. It's just another typical morning in prison. You can imagine him taking maybe his toilet bucket or, and sweeping his cell like every other morning doing his duties that he would have had to attend to, to uh, the captain of the guard. It was just another day in prison. And then suddenly there's, there's movement in the corridors. An important individual comes running in and looking for, where is this Hebrew slave? Where is this, this Hebrew slave? The one who can interpret dreams. And then they kind of look around and, well, they all look at Joseph. And he points to him, right, shave your head. Get clothed, you're going before Pharaoh. Can you picture it? And so what you have is in an instant, Joseph goes from the depths of, of the pit to the pinnacle of power. He goes from being a prisoner to a prince. After two whole years of waiting and wondering what God was up to in his life, Joseph is now suddenly raised to power and glory. He's redeemed. We see his suffering is overturned. God exalts his suffering servant. And that brings us to the message this morning. We'll see that God exalts his suffering servant to bless his starving people. And we'll see three thi um, two things, I should say. We'll see that God exalts him to royal glory. And then second, that God exalts him to, to saving service. So firstly then, God exalts him to royal glory. And once again, the dramatic change of circumstances in Joseph's life starts with dreams, with two dreams. You can think back, way back to Genesis 37, everything started off with two dreams that he had. And then, two years and three days after God gave the cupbearer and the baker their two dreams, Pharaoh also has two dreams, or two nightmares, you could say. As we read together, he, he sees seven cows, healthy and plump, the, the kind of cows that you would see at the royal show. 
And before he has time to dream about all the steak that he can eat, all of a sudden these ugly, ghastly-looking cows come up and devour them. And with that, he wakes up. And like any nightmare, he, he goes back to sleep and he's right where he left off. Although this time, it's not cows, it's wheat. He dreams of these big, plump, fruitful ears of wheat, which get destroyed and eaten up by wilted grains of wheat. And although he has all the experts, all the magicians of the arts, the combined intellect of Egypt could not give Pharaoh an interpretation. All of the wise men are in the dark to what God is revealing to Pharaoh. Twice we are told that there was no one who could interpret the dreams. No one. But of course, um, Joseph. And with that, the cupbearer remembers. He remembers all that had happened to him and what Joseph had done for him. And so he mentions that to the Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh quickly calls for Pharaoh, I mean for Joseph. Having heard of his divine ability, he now summons him and he says, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you could interpret it. Now it's interesting to note what Joseph says to Pharaoh. He says there in verse 16, Joseph answered to Pharaoh, it, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So he's presented with this opportunity to bask in the limelight and to kind of just dwell in the glory that this, that this Pharaoh was going to say to him. You know, you can interpret dreams. And in saying, yes, yes, I can interpret dreams. Let me, tell me your dream and I'll interpret for you. Right away, he deflects. He moves all that attention away to God. In the original, it's one word. It's not in me. And so in one breath, he redirects the attention of Pharaoh and says, no, it's not me. It's not because of my ability. It's because of God. And God will give you an answer. So he's given this opportunity to bask in glory and he doesn't do it. You know, in Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that a man is tested by praise. And here what we see when, when Joseph is tested with a moment of praise that he deflects and he re, rechannels that, that praise to God instead. Isn't that remarkable, brothers and sisters? Because isn't it easy to, as soon as someone praises you, to just bask in that and just gloat in that? It so often exposes the pride that, that is in our hearts. You know, someone comments on our gifts, someone comments maybe on our talents or abilities, or they mention all the blessings that we receive, and we think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, I am very gifted. I'm quite talented. It's so easy to look into ourselves rather than, rather than think about where these gifts actually come from, realizing that everything who we are and everything that we are and whatever we can do comes to us from God. You see, in the life of the Christian, there is no room for boasting. Because everything we are or everything we do comes from Christ who works in us. And yet, not only does he re redirect this attention to God, but he also, what we see in his words is that he still believes in God. Which again is a remarkable thing when we think of everything that is what has happened to him previously. As we saw last time, you know, you have these two officers and we think to ourselves, this is the moment. And then 
Once again, the situation changes, but nothing changes. He's left sitting there in the pit. And as we saw last time, he waits and he waits and he waits. But what we see is that he doesn't, in his waiting, he doesn't despair of God. Rather, he continues to wait on the Lord. And we know this because of what he says here. It is not in me. God will give you an answer. He still believed that God was faithful to his words. That God was faithful to the dreams that even he had dreamed. And that God reveals his plans for his people in dreams. And so he continues. And he interprets these dreams. He tells them, as we read together in the verses 25 through, through 31, he tells that the seven years with the, the cows and the ears represented seven years of abundance. And then after these bumper harvests, there's going to be these years of severe famine. A famine that will, will make the glory days beforehand seem like nothing. And then in addition to his explanation, he gives some advice to Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh, well, you should look for a wise and discerning man. Set him up as kind of the, the famine fund in charge of that, and he can go around and make sure that there's, there's food that remains. And so he tells them this. And we can imagine, brothers and sisters, or I should say, can you imagine what would have been going through his mind? So he tells the dream to Pharaoh, and then he tells him, he gives some advice to him, and now what? Was he going to go back to, to prison like he did last time? What was, what was going to happen? And then our text comes and we see the answer. Immediately it is evident to Pharaoh that Joseph was more than qualified for the task. He recognized that this wasn't just a man with superior intellect, a man with, with wise and, and gifted experience. But no, this was a man endowed with the Spirit of God. Like Potiphar, we remember from Genesis 39, who could see that the, that the God of Israel was with Joseph, that the Lord was with Joseph. Here we see that Pharaoh could see that Joseph was not acting in his own strength, but his understanding came from somewhere which was supernatural. It was divine. It was from God. As we read in Job 32, verse 8 to 9, it says, It is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. And it's this same spirit, the breath of the Almighty, that gives Joseph understanding before Pharaoh, so that there was none as wise or as discerning as he was. And with that, he is elevated to the right hand of Pharaoh. The, the next verses of our text are in some way are kind of a coronation, you could say. You, know, you just think back to the footage that you saw of, of Queen Elizabeth's coronation. You, you probably remember those intricate royal garments, everyone in their, their beautiful robes. And then you think of that ornate golden chariot that the British Empire had that she, she, she moved around in. And then you think of that, the footage of the priest putting that big crown on her head. That amazing crown full of jewels. Well, it gives us a little taste of what was going on here. Now, of course, Joseph wasn't crowned to, to be king. But still, we get a lot of details about his power and about his splendor. The inspired author goes to great lengths to describe that for us. So firstly, we see that Pharaoh tells him that he, or gives him authority beyond what any man had in Egypt. 
He says, all my people shall order themselves before you. Literally, it says, all will kiss the ground on account of you. All will kneel before you, Joseph. All will pay respect for you. So he's given the ultimate authority, and then he's given the king's signet ring, which meant that he could act and make decrees and laws in the name of Pharaoh. And then in addition to that, he's, he receives a change of clothes. He has a golden chain around his neck, and he's wearing this beautiful garment, a beautiful garment made of golden thread, which, which some of the ancient poets said it was a thread that would shine in the sun, making the person shine, shine amazing. And then, in addition to that, he rode in the chariot right behind Pharaoh. As everybody called, called out before him, bow the knee, bow the knee, and everyone would bow before him. This was, this was the pinnacle of glory and splendor. It was royal glory. Joseph, Joseph was the vizier of Egypt. And that was a position where the person, the vizier, he would oversee everything. He was the chief minister of justice, he was the police chief, he was the secretary of defense, he was the minister of agriculture, minister of finance. Apart from Pharaoh, the vizier was the most powerful person in all of Egypt. And this is the position that Joseph is given. And we get a sense of that in, in uh, verse 44 of our text. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. No one will act unless you give the go. Nothing will happen without your authorization. And so you see that Joseph goes from the slave of no status whatsoever to a royal with all the status in the world. Now congregation... This part of our text is, is hard for us not to love. Now that Joseph is walking around in Egypt in style, armed with great power, clothed in riches, you'd say driving around his Rolls Royce, we often think to ourselves, finally, finally all Joseph's faithfulness has paid off. Finally he's lifted out of the pen and he's recognized for the faithful man that he is. And while this is certainly the pinnacle of Joseph's career, you could say, we cannot think that this is some sort of divine compensation for Joseph's suffering. Because it's easy for us to do that. To think to ourselves, you know what? If we just stay faithful in our suffering, then God is going to, in, in, in some time, he's going to give us riches. And he's going to give us exactly what Joseph had. He'll, he'll give us, he'll restore us to power. He'll restore us to glory. You see, this is not the pinnacle, you could say, of Joseph's complete life. That's not what's going on here. This is not, you could say, the divine rec recompense, the divine compensation for his suffering. Because we all so often think that, you know, if we persist, that we'll be like Job. Job was sitting there in the ashes with his potsherds, but then later at the end, he was sitting there and he had all this wealth. And his daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. And so we think to ourselves, if we just hang in there, then God will do the exact same for us. See, brothers and sisters, his promotion to Pharaoh's right hand wasn't the goal. It wasn't reward. 
No, this was once again another step in God's plan, not just for Joseph, but for his whole chosen people. His promotion in the courts of Pharaoh wasn't just to reward Joseph, rather it was to protect and further his plan for Jacob's house, the promised people. It was another necessary step that God was using to fulfill his promises to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You see, God had bigger plans for Joseph than to cozy him up with riches and glory as a reward for his suffering. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters. God has bigger plans for us than to cozy us up with riches and reward. And how do we know this? Well, it's because God doesn't do this for everyone. Not everyone has a Job-like turnaround. As we saw last time, God doesn't always give us the comfort and the pleasures that we wish for. No, so often our suffering can prolong and we can continue and wait and wait. You see, God loves us too much to exchange His everlasting glory that He has in store for us for some temporary fleeting riches that we can receive in this life. Instead, God works in us And sometimes he prolongs our suffering so that instead of giving us amazing rewards, he gives us more of himself so that he draws us nearer and closer to him and that we long for him and that he becomes the soul of our existence because we have nothing else. So brothers and sisters, as he works out his plan for us in our suffering, he gives us himself and that is far richer than any sort of reward that we can receive. And so what we see is that Joseph receives this royal glory. But it's not just a reward. As we shall see in the second point, Joseph is given this position for saving service. So that God exalts him for saving service. So as our text proceeds, you have Joseph with all his wealth, with all his splendor, and then we read about his... Uh, his duties. We see how he's very proactive and he's productive before the king and in, in his service. So a day earlier he was, he was sitting there and he was serving the jail warden and now he was rule, ruling over all of Egypt. And he went throughout all the land governing everything as the vizier of Egypt. As we see, as Joseph foretold, it happened. The next seven years were years of great prosperity, of great abundance. It says there, the earth produced abundantly. And the picture behind the word is quite remarkable. Literally, it says, the earth produced by the handful. So you can picture it normally, you know, a bit of grain is probably like that big. But imagine now it's grain by the handful. Tons and tons of grain. Immeasurable. So this is a picture of sheer prosperity and fruitfulness. And so in preparation for the famine, the seven years that were coming up, Joseph gathered all this, this fruitfulness, all these, this, this abundance of grain into warehouses. He says there in verse 48, he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. So you can kind of imagine what's going on here is similar to, you just think of the the terminal, the grain terminal in Rockingham, but just on a smaller scale. So you have grain that's brought in from the surrounding regions and it's stored there and 
And in this case, it wasn't for export to other countries, but rather it was to save up for the famine. And not a single one of these was empty. All of them were full. Verse 49 says that Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it. It just kept pouring in and pouring in. They were overflowing. The supply was so great that at one point they stopped counting it because there was so much. But not only was this a time of great fruitfulness for the nation, what we see is this is also a time of great fruitfulness for Joseph, you could say. During this time, we read that Joseph had two sons. And it's interesting because in the names that he gives his sons, we get a window into Joseph's thoughts. You see, unlike a modern book, which would have tons of, of description of what was going on in Joseph's head throughout, the, throughout this time, we only get a picture of that in these names. We don't give details of his thoughts or emotions. We see little glimpses with the, the naming of his children. And what's interesting is he doesn't give his, his children, Hebrew, I mean, Egyptian names, but Hebrew names. He doesn't fully immerse himself and get get lost in the pagan world that he found himself in, but he gives his children Hebrew names. The promised land was still important to him. The promises of, of God were still close to his heart. He may have adopted a lot of Egypt's, uh, Egypt's culture, but he didn't adopt everything. And these Hebrew names spoke of his faith in God. He says there, so the first name was Manasseh and Ephraim. Or I should say, so both of the sons were Manasseh and Ephraim. You could say he called his kids forget, for, forgotten and fruitful. So this firstborn son was Manasseh. As it says there, he called his name Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. Now Joseph wasn't standing by a fire burning all his memories of his family here. That's not what he was doing. Rather, when you name your child something saying, I will not forget, I have forgotten all the, the trouble of my father's house. Well then, every time he sees his son, he's going to remember that. And so that's not what's going on there. Rather, by naming his son Manasseh, Joseph chose to remember his suffering and affliction in light of what God was doing in his life. As one person translated, he said, Manasseh means, I let that stuff go. I let all the troubles and the affliction that I experienced go. So it was a deliberate move to see his past, those, those life-changing experiences that he had in light of what God was doing. It was a statement of faith. A statement which said, I have no idea how God is going to work good in these circumstances, but I trust Him. I trust that God has a plan. It shows us that in all those years of waiting, He didn't despair of God, but He continued to trust Him. Although He grappled with what God was doing, the naming of His son Manasseh, that name stated that Joseph still believed that his suffering wasn't for nothing. And so that's with Manasseh. And then we have Ephraim. And Ephraim, Ephraim means doubly fruitful. Fruitful fruitfulness. It's a similar word actually that comes up in the blessing that God gives to Abraham. God blesses Abraham and he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you a great nation and kings shall come from you. 
And what's interesting is previously in that passage, we read about his descendants being as great as the stars of heaven as the sand is on the sea. And it's similar imagery that comes back in this passage. So while the land is experiencing great abundance, like the sand which is upon the sea, Joseph is also experiencing fruitfulness himself. He's experiencing a fruitfulness that God has promised to his people. And this was something that Joseph recognized. He recognized that God was blessing him in the land of his affliction. But as we saw in our first point, God didn't give him all these blessings as a reward. But rather, he had promoted him to the right hand of Pharaoh for a reason. And ultimately, that reason was to save and to preserve his people. The exaltation to the right hand of Pharaoh was for, God, for the preservation of God's covenant people. And this is what the rest of our text makes clear. So following the years of plenty came the seven years of famine. And, and when we, you read through 53 to 57, five times the passage tells us that the famine was severe. It was severe. It was severe, it says. And then following the years, sorry, I should say, in the history records... It speaks of these, these stages in Egypt's history where famines were so severe that the people resorted to cannibalism. But not this time. Even though the famine was so severe in the land, God raised up Joseph so that there would be food. That, that he would not only save Egypt, but the whole of the Middle Eastern world. You see, there was no food in all the land, but there was food in Egypt. As even more, it says, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. Why? Because the famine was severe over all the earth. So the famine wasn't restricted to the location of Egypt. Rather, it spread everywhere. And so you see that Joseph had been risen up to preserve not only Egypt, but the land beyond. You see, congregation, although Joseph had no idea... God was using him to preserve his family. The promised seed of the woman who would crush the serpent, the Messiah, the Savior, would come because God's promised people wouldn't die out in the land. No, there would be food for them. God's plan of salvation wouldn't stop because of the famine. Jacob's household, the, the family of promise, would continue. It would be that great nation that God had promised. And why? Because God had sent a man ahead, as we sung together in Psalm 105. God had sent a man ahead to preserve his people. It's amazing. God cast this world, the world in this text, into a famine for the good of his people. As one writer states, God's people are the apple of his eye. And what we see in the story of Joseph is a picture of God's gospel providence, the way that God rules the world for the sake of of his people. Brothers and sisters, Joseph's great suffering, his, his humiliation that he experienced in the pit, and then his sudden exaltation, his, his glory and honor that he receives at the right hand of Pharaoh, it's an incredible foreshadowing of what we see in our Savior Jesus Christ, who was humbled greatly, but then was also raised to glory and honor. You see, Joseph, uh, Jesus also suffered greatly, learning through his suffering obedience, as we read in Hebrews. He endured that suffering, and he didn't just experience the darkness of a pit, but the agony of hell. 
He endured false accusations. But then what we see is that in God's good timing, that he was promoted, that God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that all would bow the knee. You see, that's what happened with Joseph. At God's good timing, he exalted him. And everyone bowed the knee before him. And not only that, Joseph was a tool in God's hand to preserve his chosen people, to save and to rescue his chosen people. You see, brothers and sisters, the Savior came. And it came from that promised family. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was broken. He endured suffering. And then in God's good timing, God highly exalted him. And as we read in Philippians 2, 8 through 11, he bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus didn't reign like a king. Jesus reigns as king. He's far greater than Joseph. And as he sits at God's right hand right now in heaven... He sits there enthroned for the sake of his people. He rules for the good of his church, gathering her from every people group around the world, preserving her from the attacks of the devil. And what is more, brothers and sisters, we see that in Christ all the families of the earth are blessed. You see, while God used Joseph to preserve Jacob and to preserve Jacob's household, what we see is that his power brought salvation to more than just Jacob's household, but to all the land. We know that because in in, uh, chapter 42, the brothers go off to Egypt, and they go with other people who are all going to Egypt to get bread. said, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. And so salvation from the famine went beyond just the confines of Egypt. It went beyond just the confines of of the promised family. And this is a beautiful picture of the person and work of our Savior. You see, Jesus declares to a dying world, He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. We read that in John 6. And so we see is in Jesus Christ who is the great, 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 great grandson, that a descendant from Jacob, we see that the gift of salvation is for all, for all who believe in him and all who put their trust in him. God calls all to come to him as the source of life itself, without money and without price. And that saving work isn't just for a few. No, the beauty is it's for all who believe in him. And so, brothers and sisters, what we see is this marvelous picture of our ascended Savior, Jesus Christ. We see that Joseph is clothed with honor and glory, which is a picture of our Savior's honor and glory that he receives and that he has in heaven for us. And what we see is that this glory and power that Joseph received was for the sake of God's people. And the same way, Jesus rules on high with his eye on his people preserving the church throughout all ages and places. See, brothers and sisters, this is your Savior. This is the bread of life who gives salvation to all. And so we need to take our eyes off Joseph's pomp and his splendor, and we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is crowned with glory and honor 
for our sake. And so, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us now sing of Christ's Lordship with the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2. this uh, morning's prayer, we'll mention a few things before the Lord. Firstly, we'll pray that God will be with our our sister Sandra Dingle, who is going to have her her hip replaced. And so we'll pray that God will bless that operation. And also we'll pray for our sister Helena Bolhos, that God would bless her as she has an operation on her knee this this week. And then also we'll thank the Lord that he's been with our brother and sister Griffun in Holland. As you may recall, he was stranded there for a bit because of an embolism that he had. And now he... We can give thanks to God that God has opened the way for him to come back. And from my understanding, they've, they have flights scheduled for early November. So we'll thank the Lord for that. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you for the way that you rule this world for the sake of your people. You are faithful to your promises. You are true to your word. What you promise you will do. Lord, we see that in the life of of your servant Joseph, a saint that has gone before us. He waited and he waited on you, trusting in your goodness and plan for his life, and you did not put him to shame. But in your good timing, you elevated him and raised him to, to glory and honor. You sent him ahead as a tool to bring salvation for a starving people. And Father, we thank you that you have done this more fully in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That you have sent him ahead as the bread of life to bring salvation to us, your people, and to all who believe in him. Lord, we thank you that he suffered in our place, that he endured great humiliation and is now seated at your right hand, crowned with glory and honor. 
And Father, we praise you that you have done all this for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your people. And Father, this great, gives us great confidence in your providence to bring before you our needs and our cares and our worries and concerns. And Father, we pray that your same providential love may continue to surround us. Father, we think particularly of our, our sister Sandra Dingle and Helena Bolhos, who are both scheduled to have, have surgery. Lord, we pray that you would bless Helena's operation, that you would guide the doctor's hands, that there would be a favorable outcome. And Father, we pray that you would give her patience as well with the recovery process. That you would watch over her and Andrew and the rest of the family who will have to care for her. In the same way, Lord, we pray that you would be with our sister Sandra. Father, we praise you that she is finally uh, able to have her hip replaced. It's been a long road for our sister, and she's endured much discomfort and pain for a long time. But Father, we thank you that her waiting is over, and that you have now blessed her with a scheduled surgery, and we pray that you would be with her in that operation, and that you would watch over her as she recovers, Lord willing, afterwards. Lord, please surround her with your steadfast love and be near to her. Father, we also give you thanks for your care and your provision for our brother and sister Griffune who were, who were prevented from coming back from Holland some time ago because of an embolism. Lord, we thank you for the medical care and, um, and, and uh, medical attention that he was able to receive. Lord, we thank you that you have opened the door for them so that they are able to return home. We praise you that you have done this and we ask that you would be with them, that you would watch over them as they, they travel Lord, keep them safe, and we pray that in due time we may be able to see them worshiping with us once again. Lord, please be with us in the rest of this day, this day of worship. Bless our time of fellowship. We thank you that we can worship together as your people. And Father, may our praise and our worship be a foretaste for all of us of that future glorious day when we will worship you face to face, praising you with all creation. But Lord, hear us. Because of Jesus Christ. Amen. You now have an opportunity to bring of your gifts to the Lord. And your offerings are requested for the ministry of mercy for, for Fair Haven. And then thereafter we'll sing from hymn 46 verses 1 through 4.
receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be merciful to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.